You're listening to The Philip Jordan Show. Merry Christmas, everybody, and welcome into the Philip Jordan Show. I am your host, Philip Jordan, in studio host and producer. That's almost football on I six point nine, the legend, and I am the Auburn writer for last word on college football. This is a best of edition of the show. Uh, with today being Christmas, was not going to do a brand new episode. I've taken time off, enjoying it with my family, as you are with yours. But I still did not want the feed to go silent here on this Monday, so. I am going to be playing a conversation I had with former Auburn offensive coordinator Al Borges back on April 25th, 2022. I had Al Borges on a podcast to talk about his upcoming book, Deny of the Tiger, detailing the 2004 Auburn Tigers from his standpoint. Of course, that was a team that was held out of playing for a national championship in the BCS championship game when Oklahoma and USC played it. You know, Auburn was an undefeated SEC champion. So in that conversation, we talk about the book, obviously. We talk about the season. We talk about Coach Borges getting to Auburn and talking about Jason Campbell, talking about Ronnie Brown and Cali, and also we'll flip it around, asking what was it like in practice going up against the defense that was coordinated by Gene Chizik, former Auburn head coach who was the national championship winning head coach in 2010. And I'll also put a link to the book in the description of the show. You can go get it over on amazon but i will leave that if you have not checked out the book i highly recommend you doing so but if you haven't i will put that link down in the description so if you want to go check it out buy it and give it a read like i said it's, it's a great book that details everything game by game by game from al borges from that season anyways here's that conversation and i hope you enjoy it 96.9 The Legend is your connection to classic country legend. But Digio Strategies has other options too. News Talk 103.9 is your source for America's top news and entertainment shows like Rick and Bubba in the morning, Glenn Beck from 9 till 11 a.m. and Clay Travis and Buck Sexton middays from 11 a.m. till 2 p.m. Sean Hannity, Lars Larson, Ben Shapiro, Matt Walsh and others fill your day with the latest news and views from America's top conservative voices. America at night and coast to coast am keep you company and connected throughout the night plus fox news the alabama radio network and wiregrass daily news keep you informed with national international state and local news and with more musical choices like all the hits 1067 kmx today's country 95.5 wtvy and music 1077 digio strategies gives you more choices and more variety listen on air online and on our apps 96.9 the legend is just the beginning all right, everybody, this week on the show, got quite a treat. I'm joined by Coach Al Borges, a former offensive coordinator for the SEC fans. You remember him when he was at Auburn, been at UCLA, Cal, uh, Indiana, Michigan, San Diego State, a, a lot of awesome places. He's been he's been coaching for uh, several, several, several years. And uh, Coach Borges got a book coming out, Deny of the Tiger on the 2004 Auburn Tigers. And uh, Coach Borges, I appreciate you taking the time and uh, coming on the show today. It's great to be on. Uh, Any time I can relive that experience, uh, I'm more than willing to do so. It, it, it sizzles a little thrill down my spine, you know, when I think about it. So it's great to be on. 
Oh, yeah, it's great to have you all. And I, I'm excited to check the book out. I remember that that season vividly. And I told you off the air, I was a senior in high school uh, that year during that season. It was a pretty awesome season for you. Know, and I'm here in the state of Alabama. I know a lot of people, well, a portion of the state was really happy about that season. Uh, for over the other half, uh, doesn't want to hear about it. But anyways, that's a good thing about the state. But, you know, the book, uh, I know, uh, due out in August. Uh, just uh, what was the inspiration um, to, to do the book? Well, you know, uh, uh, as I said in other uh, podcasts I've done, it really wasn't something that was on my radar. You know, I wasn't going to write a book. Now, I wrote a book uh, back in 2000 on quarterback play, you know, to sell to coaches. It wasn't it wasn't going to sell a lot of copies. It was for people that were interested in quarterback play. Um, but this time around, this is a little different. I, I'd gone uh, – I've been doing a weekly YouTube show with Sam Webb, uh, WTKA, in Ann Arbor on Michigan football, okay? And every year, every week, I would go to the uh, to the game, sit in the press box, and uh, we would get together on Monday and cover the game and do a deep dive. I mean, we did telestrations. We'd watch every play. we spent six, seven hours on Monday going back over the game and then putting on – YouTube Wednesday night, Thursday morning, you know, seven or eight good telestrations and then some exchanges on how we felt that game was and what the next game was going to be. But I did this all year. But then my son, uh, he was, I think, three or four years old when we were at Auburn, your your senior year, okay? Mm -hmm. And somehow you think he would have forgotten that experience. Well, it kind of just worked opposite. (laughs) He He got Auburn in his blood and he's, been that way since I can remember. He's an Auburn nut. You know, I tell people he knows as much about Auburn as Philip Marshall and Jason <laughs> Caldwell. I mean, if you want to know something about basketball, football, baseball, recruiting, he's an encyclopedia. He knows more than I do. I promise you that. And he lives and dies it. You know, he watches all the sports on TV every chance he gets. We sit and watch basketball and cuss at the TV and the official. <laughs> so, uh, I, you know, he says, I want to, he's 17. He wants, he's looking at colleges because I want to go to Auburn. I want to go to Auburn. So I said, all right, I'm going to take a week off. I'm not going to go to the Michigan Ohio State game, which, you know, that's tantamount to the Iron Bowl. But I'm going to take you down so we can see Auburn in the best environment. And what's the best environment? The Iron Bowl, right? Hmm. So we went this last year to the Iron Bowl and, uh, oh, we had a great time. I mean, it was unbelievable. We, uh, but the one thing, uh, I did the radio with Jason Campbell and Ronnie Brown uh, and that bunch, all, all the same cast of characters, you know, Andy and all them. And uh, then we went and sat down in some great seats that Tim Jackson had got us. Uh, the one thing that jumped out, man, is everywhere I go, it's like you never left. Mm-hmm. It's like you never left. It was 18 years since that season, but the season, the fans, it was yesterday. It was yesterday. And when I left, the two things that resonated with me was that my son was damn bent on going to Auburn now. I mean, he we had such a good time. And number two, I sat down and said, you know what? I, I got to, I got to do something for the fans, something that, to, you know, a legacy, something to remember us, remember that team. So I sat down and said, I'm going to write a book. And I am going to write this book so anybody can pick it up and read it. I don't care if it's a man, woman, child, whatever. Uh, it's going to have football. It's going to be about football, but it's going to be more about a, a majestic synergy of a football team, mm-hmm. how this all came to fruition. And I took it from the beginning of when I got hired. 
I was an underdog. You know, I, I came out of nowhere to get the job through the 2005 Sugar Bowl and all the stories I could think of that went with that. Okay. Uh, and there's a bunch. Oh, man, is there a bunch? There's, and I tell a lot of stories. Some are hilarious. Some are just interesting. Okay. But I went chronologically through the whole thing, how I got the job, the interview, meeting the coaching staff, going through the pre-spring, through the spring, preseason. And then I had kept 13 DVDs of 13 games. Okay. Both the uh, the CBS CBS copies CSS when CSS was around. Oh yeah, I remember. <laughs> yeah, Cole Kubik and, and Andy did it then, and I went back and watched the games. And mm-hmm. when you watch the games, all these thoughts are triggered. Oh my goodness, I remember that situation. There's a timeout, and I'm sitting watching because I remember what I told him, and I just write it down. You know, things that I wouldn't really have would not have occurred to me as much had I not watched it again, you know? So it, it, the book wrote itself in three weeks. I'm done with the first draft, you know? Wow. I said, this is so, and it's, it's, uh, it's interesting because there's some stories that you will not have heard, okay? Because I'm taking you in the locker room. I'm taking you on the sideline. I'm taking you into the huddle, and I'm taking you into our meeting rooms. And uh, it's not like hard knocks. It goes beyond hard knocks. You know, they turn the camera off and pick what they want to show you, but I'm, I'm giving you pretty much – some stuff and some stuff I got to be honest. I, I said, should I write this? I said, I ah, write it. Yeah. Let them know. It's, it's not an indictment on a lot of people, but it is very candid, you know? So I think some of the stories, I think people will find Auburn fans will find fascinating because they're so into it, but even the, the common football fan or just anybody interested in a good story about a team, I think will, will find it interesting. So that's how it evolved. You know, you talked about uh, going to the Iron Bowl and, um, you know, your son, you know, the atmosphere. You know, as your time, you know, as offensive coordinator there, and then, you know, I know you came back in 2017 as offense analyst. Just for you, just what is – what makes Auburn special? Oh, uh, the fans. The fans make Auburn special. The fan, Auburn fans are unbelievable. Unbelievable now. These people – and I, I – you know, you, people still say that. The Alabama in general, the state of Alabama – takes a, an approach to football like no other place I've coached. And I've coached in seven different states, but this is a whole different deal. It is, in fact, a religious sect, so to speak, for them, you know. And as wonderful as they are, they have expectations, you know. And it's a, it can be volatile, you know, as you well know. Yeah. But that's what makes it great because you don't want apathy. I've coached to places where it's apathetic and not as volatile. But this place is, is special because it's a big deal to them. And, it's, and they make it a big deal to you. And they put in you a burning desire to succeed. I came to Auburn uh, when my career was almost in the abyss. I mean, I'd come off three horrible seats. I talk about this in the book at the very beginning, particularly. And uh, But I'd had some great success in football. UCLA, we won 20 straight games. We won one championship, two championships in the in the then Pac-10, five championships in the Western Football Cowboys and a Big Sky Championship. We had a lot of success. But when I came to Indiana and Cal, I had three years of, oh, boy, it was terrible. It was tough. But when I came into Auburn, I saw the potential of this program based on the skill that was, and more than that, the character. Because what was shocking about my situation is there's a lot of great athletes, Okay. But they didn't seem to care who got the credit. 
And when you when you got that, you got a chance. You got a chance to win. Never, not everybody's trying to grab the glory and all by themselves. They're they're playing for each other. Um, it's there's it's limitless what you can do, and that's what that team was. It was it was unselfish, and the character was strong, and the talent was strong, and it was a perfect storm in terms of what you want to coach. Yeah, I just you know, and if it's something but you you know you, you can be vague about it if you want to, but just you know. You know, getting the interview, getting you know, coming, you know, meeting with Tommy Toberville and coming down here. Just now, how did that all transpire? Well, it was a, a weird deal because I was a late entry. Okay, and I talk about this in the book. Uh, one of the sub chapters is entering in the fourth quarter. <laughs> they had already <laughs> interviewed three guys, you know, and I didn't really know about it. My my uh, my ex wife told me. She says, "You know this job at Auburn." I go. You know what? Yox is at Auburn. And Kevin Yoxel, who was a strength coach at the time, and I worked with him at UCLA. I said, I'm going to call Yox and see what's going on with the deal. Well, when I got off the phone with Yox, he says, Al, I'd be happy to talk to Tommy for you. But they're kind of in the fourth quarter of this thing. They're, this is They've already interviewed three guys. And quite frankly, when I got off the phone, I didn't think. I wasn't very encouraged. I said, I know. Well, let's see what happens. You know, let's see, give, do what you can, see what happens. Well, it turned out I got a call like the next day or day, I don't know, maybe it was two days. And says, yeah, they're interested in talking to you. So I go, ah, great, man. I <laughs> I was good to go. And then when I went down and saw the team in winter conditioning, you know, mm-hmm. I went down and watched it. And I said, man, alive, I got to get this job. I mean, they got <laughs> linemen. They got backs that look like backs. They got a quarterback right out of central casting. They got receivers that got range and hands and and I said, I don't know, man. Now, one thing, they, they may have been a lot of problems here, but it wasn't recruiting. I mean, they get, they got some good players. So that's how I developed. I kind of came out of nowhere. And when I got here, Philip, I wasn't a popular pick, you know, because coming from Indiana, there was, you know, they got on Tuberville a little bit about fi- about hiring me, and they got on me a little bit even once I got here. I had to answer some pretty poignant questions. And, I, again, that's something else I talk about in the book, so. Yeah, I'm sure it had to be a little different, you know, you know, not being from the South, coming down into the, the Southeast, into Alabama, you know, just that different. Uh, was it a little bit of a culture shock? Uh, my my cousin Vinny. You see my cousin <laughs> Vinny, right? That's, oh, a, yeah. that's the equation I use. I've told him, uh, I said, I was Vinny Gambini. I came down here and I wore Hawaiian shirts. They laughed at me. You know, I, I talked. I didn't talk. I was a Southern accent. That's for dog. I'm sure I cussed too much. I didn't fit there. I didn't. I, I looked at some of the food. I go, well, what is this? You know, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't eat right. I, I just didn't do things. I had to learn how to be a Southerner. You know, I had to learn how to how to uh, deal with it. And, and, and I, I, it wasn't hard. I mean, but it was it was different. I will say that. And so it, it was a transition that went beyond football, you know, for me anyway. But um, I found the people were wonderful. The Again, the, the environment for football, you, I found somebody – that was as passionate about it as I was, you know? And so uh, it was pretty cool. It was pretty cool at the end of the day, but it wasn't something that I just hit the ground running on. Yeah. I will say that, you know, uh, with the team going into that first spring practice in the fall, when you, you know, you're around the players, uh, especially with Jason Campbell, you know, I know I remember, I remember when he uh, was coming out of high school and he talked to me about his talent, but you know, obviously he, he was had already went through three different offense coordinators, you know, before you came uh, were hired on. What was it with him? You saw was there anything you saw with him maybe before the season start? Just that potential with what he oh, could, could be. Yeah, you got a six five kid that can win it. And here's the deal that's uh, was bad for him, good for me. Uh, it was bad for him because he had four coordinators in four years, or before I got there, three in three years. Okay, 
Well, it's hard to maintain any stability systematically. Okay. You got a different coordinator. You got a different quarterback coach. That's a pain in the butt. But for me, he had so much exposure to so much offense. There was very little that I could show him that confused him. I mean, I, I said, okay, how about this guy? Oh, yeah, we did that no too. You know, uh, how about that? Oh, we did that last year. So from a, from, a, from a passing game perspective, which is where the learning curve is the greatest for the quarterback, mm-hmm. because most quarterbacks can run a run game. I think it was uh, just the fact from my own perspective is I could show him things that really weren't foreign to him because he had had so much, he had learned so much football. He just hadn't had the stability within the system to grow into the kind of quarterback he was going to be. So when I, when I met the kid, uh, he didn't, he didn't talk too much because he didn't know me very well at the beginning. I think he was still kind of feeling me out. And he didn't say very much. So he was, he's a little bit of a tough read, but he wasn't with regard to understanding football. That that jumped out. He knew that. But as we got to know each other better and as he trusted me more, he kind of he got better and better about communicating. But the one thing that stood out to me with Jason, because I studied all this. I mean, I studied not just the 03. I went back every every start, every mm-hmm. every single snap. I looked at practice tapes. I mean, I look back anything I get my hands on. I wanted to uh, I wanted to study, and it just appeared to me as I watched it. See, this kid has really got a lot of ability, but he he plays apprehensively. He plays afraid that he's going to screw something up. And he told you, he goes, I he'll tell you, he goes, I just I played like I didn't. I didn't want to be the guy who lost the game. And I, the first thing I wanted to convey to him was, you, we will never, you will never be a great quarterback and we will never be a great team until you let it rip, until you start playing for the reasons that they recruited you. He was, I think, the second-rated quarterback in the country when they took him. But when he started doing that and playing without apprehension, playing without that deer in the headlights every time something would go wrong, his whole game changed. And the teams, both teams just went like this, you know, because once they didn't become, or we didn't become dependent on Cadillac and Ronnie running the ball all the time. And we could fill the void when the, when the running game wasn't as good as it might have been, then the team took another turn. It was a whole different deal. They couldn't just load boxes all the time because he'd make them pay, which he could not consistently do before we got there. You know, and it got help. I mean, the receiving core Auburn had, I don't think then it got talked about a lot, you know, by the media compared to other programs. And then even I think today, Auburn fans, I, sometimes I wonder, you don't realize how good those guys were, you know, Ben Obermann, Devin Rumishu, Anthony Mix, and, and Courtney Taylor. I mean, that, that's a stacked uh, foursome of receivers uh, that you, you guys say, had. They were the toughest for me to read when I watched before I coached them. Because mm-hmm. again, I went through all the, the video. And the one position I knew, I knew, I knew Marcus could play at left tackle. I knew Ben Grubbs was going to be a good player eventually. We he developed into a great player. Uh, most of the guys I had a feel for, but the receivers as much I did because they weren't being featured that much. Mm-hmm. And I'm I just how good is Courtney Taylor? God, he sure looks like he's got to have a chance, but he's not doing anything with any consistency to get you excited. Well, after I went through spring football, you know, I, I said this is the nicest surprise of it all. Mm-hmm. This is the nicest surprise. All goes. We got four or five guys that can all hurt you. They all have a role. Uh, Devin Aromashu run right by you. I mean, he was fast as grease lightning. Uh, Courtney Taylor was 
had good speed, not like Devin, but he got good speed. But he'd go in the middle and catch balls, and his run after catch was second to none. Ben Abamano probably was the most smooth and most athletic of all. Come out of cuts fast, catch deep balls, good on 50-50 passes. He was just uh, really good. And then Mix, Anthony Mix played in the slot, and he looked like a tight end. and was kind of mm-hmm. built like one of my first look. I was like, why does this guy play tight end? Went, <laughs> Anthony didn't really have a tight end mentality. He had a wide receiver mentality. But it was perfect because when he got in a slot, they'd cover him with either a nickel or they'd cover him with a linebacker, and he could bully either one of them. He could he could he could muscle muscle balls on slants. He could push guys out of the way on option routes. He was just you know he wasn't your typical little you know Wes Welker type slot. He was a physical dude that was matchup problems for people that he played against. But the common and then Silas Daniels uh, offered depth at flanker. He could run. He had mm-hmm. good speed. So. We just had five, four or five guys that every one of them were reliable. They could all catch the ball pretty good, and they had a role that you could use them in that was clear-cut. And Jason understood those matchups because he played with those guys before I got there so much. This wasn't new to him. He knew if they were pressing Ben Abomano or they were pressing Devin Aroma should do, and we had something deep going, that ball was going up there. And there was a good chance he was going to hit the pass or they're going to interfere with the guy. And he put always put it where they give him a chance. So – you know, I reap the benefits of some of the stuff that had happened in the past. So, but uh, uh, that position was a really nice surprise. You know, for me, looking back on that team, and I love to, you know, here's your, your thoughts on this, was Cadillac and Ronnie Brown. Two guys that one could have went to the NFL after their junior years. They were talented enough to do so. And then there, there had to be a level of sacrifice for both those guys because they're both elite talents. You know, they probably knew that, but to, to sacrifice yeah. for the better the, the team for you guys, you know, to especially I just enjoyed the way to you'd have them both out on the field at the same time, how they play mm-hmm. off each other. What was it about those two guys, those two players that really, that really helped make the team work? Well, Cadillac was easy to me. Cad- Cadillac's talent jumped out at you. His, his skills coming out of his butt. I mean, he could stop on a dime. He could break tackles. He could accelerate. And he had better hands. Although he didn't catch a lot of balls before I got there. He caught, I think, 21 or 22 the year I had him. But his skill set was all tailback. He's a tailback, halfback type, right? And one of the best in the country. Ronnie now, Ronnie was more hybrid. Ronnie could play tailback, play fullback, play whatever, but just strictly been a, 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 a halfback that switched off with whoever the other halfback was. His he, he had suffered through some injuries before I got there and a line at tailback that went around the block with Brandon Jacobs being there uh, and Cadillac. And he wasn't, he had a thousand yard season one year. It was really good, but he was, he was very up and down and, and his touches were a little diluted. So the, when I first saw him uh, in winter conditioning, I called him in and I said, listen, we got to get you involved more, you know, and, with, and I mean by not just playing when Cadillac doesn't, but playing with Cadillac. Mm-hmm. And that means you're going to play what I call kind of a, uh, I, you know, I was brought up with the 49ers. I watched 49ers. And Roger Craig was their fullback half the time and their halfback the other half of his career. And Ronnie reminded me of me. had the same profile, you know, 230-something pounds, fast as grease lightning, fabulous hands. I said, we got to use you. If you'll buy into doing a little dirty work, and that means you got to block once in a while, I will play you two-thirds of the time at fullback and the other third at halfback, and you'll get 
triple, double to triple the playing time, and you'll still get to play halfback. But I'm going to incorporate you more into our passing game. And he ended up catching, I think, 35, 34, 35 passes, which he, we just we were just scratching the surface. And we had him another year. God knows how many passes he could have caught. But he bought in. And, again, it was a, he was a microcosm of the unselfishness of the team. And when he bought in, again, it was now you got two great players in the backfield. Not good players, great players in the backfield. And uh, with a quarterback that was confident, okay, uh, so the, the, there was a metamorphosis that took place, okay, from one season to, from 2003 to 2004. The count, quarterback's now confident. The two best backs are playing all the time, you know. The receivers are more involved. Uh, we're running a system from a running game perspective. I didn't change much. We kept that. The passing game really was probably the, uh, more transition than anything. But uh, it, it just led to the best players playing, and I think it made a big difference uh, particularly against the matchup opponents, the LSU types, and the Tennessees, and the Alabamas and Georgias. You know, those games, uh, our best players play the best. You bring up LSU game, and for that, that game is when all sticks out to me when I think about the 2004 season, uh, the 10-9 victory. And the two things that stick out to me the most is two passes from Campbell to Courtney Taylor. There was that fourth that four and 12 play. Where he you know, we're about a little over three minutes left, and then with what, what minute fifteen, he catches the third and twelve mm-hmm. touchdown. What did what did that do for the team? That win because LSU was the defending national champion, super talented team. You know, one of the better teams in the country, and beating them, you know, ten to nine. What what did that game do you think do for the team? Do for those offensive players too as well, especially for Jason Campbell at the end in him when Courtney Taylor making them big plays. Well, it made us believe we could play with anybody. I mean, they'd won the national championship the year before. Now, I don't know if they were as good, but they weren't far from it, okay? And, and uh, just winning that game, coming out of the game, matching up with that team, playing blow for blow with that team in, in a game that was as physical as you'll ever see. I, I just, I have a uh, – uh, one of the chapters is a, a, a football uh, – fist fight disguised as a football game, and, and that's the way that game <laughs> But we came out of it, uh, and we beat them. I mean, we made plays when we had to make. We had to get off the canvas a couple of times, and we needed – John Vaughn needed a mulligan <laughs> to kick that. I remember that. <laughs> that the other X, you know. But, you know, that's the way our season went. And, and just winning that game gave us the confidence we could play with anybody. Beating Tennessee was a coming out party. That was a different deal. Because when we did what we did to Tennessee in Knoxville, the team was offensively particularly – was very confident now. We still, the LSU game, we still had not hit our stride on offense. We were still growing, okay? Mm. But after Tennessee, all bets were off. We didn't go into a game. We didn't believe we couldn't score 40-something points on on our opponent. So uh, both those two, I think those two parts, that part of the season, LSU getting us believing we could play with anybody, and then Tennessee believing we could beat anybody and, and would beat anybody. So I think those were huge. Yeah, I remember that Tennessee game was thirty-one to three, I believe, at halftime. I, mean, I thought game day was there. I remember, uh, I remember that, and uh, yeah, I remember that was. Uh, I think there was uh, game day. People were picking against you guys. Uh, they weren't picking at your, many, you know, picking out against you guys afterwards. Um, talking about LSU, and I and to just kind of think about it, you know, during your four years there, was that one of the tougher year in year out games? Because I do remember, I think it was two years later when they came back to Auburn again. It was like seven to three. 
Seven to three. Yeah, we were, they were never offensive fireworks in that game. Although when we played them there and lost, we actually, I think Kenny Irons had like 200 and something pounds. We got beat, but we were better on offense. But uh, that was the kind of game it was. You know, you were, that's the it was going to be a fist fight. It was going to be really physical. They were, I will say, they were my least favorite team to play in the SEC. I mean, yes. I watch them warm up and I go, oh my God. I mean, they got a quarterback that looks like a defensive end when they had. Uh, <laughs> Marcus, uh, but they were they were tough and they were well coached. I mean, the first year it was it was it was Nick, it was Jimbo, and it was Will 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 uh, uh, Muschamp was a defense quarter. Jimbo Fisher was offensive quarter, and Nick Saban's head coach. I mean, you got they not only have talent, they got guys who know what they're doing. So you had to you know you had to be on your A game to have a chance. Yeah, I, I, that was going to be one of my next questions. Was was there a, a team you know you looked at every year and you're so this is going to be a this is going to be a tough a tough game? But you answer that with uh with LSU. Um, you know, going throughout that season and then you know, of course you're on the offensive side, but practice going up against the Gene Chizik's defense. I mean, you had Carlos Rogers, you know, Junior Rosegreen, which I don't think a lot of Auburn fans talk about enough what he was at safety. I think he was tremendous, tremendous. there. And you had Travis Williams at linebacker. So many guys on that Auburn defense. What, what were what were the practices like with oh, your offense going up against teams defense? Bass. I mean, we got after it, and you had to be careful too with that because when we we were so fast on defense. I mean, we had speed. If we went to our nickel package, okay, if we went to our nickel package. It was eleven bullets. Every guy could run. Okay, now our regular group was fast too. But we had more, a few more run stoppers in there, you know. But when we went to nickel, holy Toledo, man, we were fast. But it was highly competitive. But what we had going for us is Chiz and I had a tremendous relationship, okay? So we did not see each other as the enemy. We saw each other as pulling for each other. We're going to compete now. I mean, it wasn't mm-hmm. going to be. No one was making any concessions, but but we were pulling for each other. And, and uh, all the coaching staff. Was that way, and I think it was infectious with the players. They could see that we were pulling for each other. So, if you're going to ask the team to work as a team and pick each other up when the other side's not playing as well, you know, like when we played Alabama, we were so awful in the first half. The defense totally bailed us out until we got our our feet underneath us and came back, played well in the second half. Same thing happened Tennessee the next week. Is the defense is struggling in the second half? We picked them up. That's the way we won thirteen games, and I think it was a a, a, a lot to do with the way we interacted as coaches and the way we talked with each other, the way we handled the players, and the players saw that, and it helped us through some of the tougher times in the season. You know, as a coach with Auburn, I mean, the schedule is not like this now. They play Georgia in October now, but. Then you're playing Georgia and Alabama back to back weeks, and those are two high intensity games, the two big rivalry. I mean, I who else in college football was playing their two biggest rivalry rivals back to back weeks? What what is that as a coach just getting the players readjusted after you play Georgia? You beat them twenty four to six, and Georgia was a really good team. Yeah. You know, they were a top ten team that year with David Pollock on defense and that group, Thomas Davis, a bunch of guys, just you know readjusting and uh, getting ready to play Alabama, which you know is another high intensity game. The the only thing that you had going for you there is Alabama had to play LSU the week before, so they had to kind of they had their own issues. Yeah, <laughs> if they'd had a, somebody really easy, that would not have been fun. But uh, at the time, I believe we had a bye before we played Georgia. We had just beat Ole Miss, 
we had a bye. Okay, we were nine and zero. Now, there's nothing better in the world than being nine and zero with a bye, and then you got a big I'm game bad. coming. Okay. Well, and Georgia was serious. I mean, they're a good team. They were they were like us. They were they good quarterback, good running backs, good on defense. I mean, they were they weren't real weak. So to beat them, uh, we were going to need to put together a really good plan and then execute the thing. You know what I mean? And, and not fold under that that situation because we were trying to sneak into the top two at that time. And it was, you know, every week we're checking. You can't help it after a while. You're seeing yeah. what, what SC do, what Oklahoma do. You know, we got to get in that top two. And for the Georgia game, uh, we just – we played so well. We came out on both sides of the ball. And, I mean, we that was my favorite game all the time was at Auburn because of what was at stake and how we mm-hmm. played in those circumstances. And then uh, – we won the game pretty convincingly. We still could not break that top two, and it was frustrating. And uh, then we played Alabama the next week, and we uh, the first half we played as bad as we played all year, and I think it was partly my fault. I don't think I did as good a job with our opening plays. Thing. But, uh, and I, I go into a lot of detail on this in the book, uh, how that those two games kind of went together, you know, and – the thinking in both of them, the adjustments at halftime, what we talked about, the whole deal. and uh, But the character of the football team would not be denied, would not be denied. I mean, and that's what happened in the Alabama game is we, we decided that we weren't – we, this was our destiny. We're going to win. We're going to beat these guys, and then we're going to go and win the rest of our games. And, yeah, we may get knocked down a little bit, but we're going to get up, and when it's all said and done, we're going to be raising the belt. So that's the way they thought, and that's the way they played. You know, then the following week, of course, beat Tennessee uh, again, win the SEC championship. And just going and knowing, not playing in the national championship game, USC and Oklahoma playing. What was the players' mindset going into that Sugar Bowl against Virginia Tech? Well, at one point when the disappointment had worn off, we aimed at the target. Because mm-hmm. I, I, I remember telling them this at the time. I said, you know, we didn't, we were the odd men out. We didn't, we didn't get it. It's unfortunate. And it was still, uh, to this day, it bugs me. But, uh, now, the way to forget about that is to start focusing on the target. Mm-hmm. The target's a really good Virginia Tech team who gave SC all they wanted. Let's whip their ass and prove, you know, uh, that we are – we should be in that game. And if even if we're not in the game, we still should be at least uh, split in the national championship. And we went in that game. We're up on – you know, it could, could turn into a little bit more – too much of a field goal deal. But we were up on them 16 enough. They snuck back into the game late and made it a little – closer than it really was at the end of the day. But um, that's how you get over that. You just say, okay, that's disappointing. It's gut-wrenching. But let's focus on the target and prove to people who we are. And they did. Now, I, I want a little side note of Virginia Tech. You were very successful against them in Sugar Bowls. Michigan, <laughs> Michigan. Uh, when you was off the corner in Michigan, you guys beat them there. So uh, yeah, I don't think uh, Frank Beamer wanted to see you as the offense coordinator for a, a team when he was in the Sugar Bowl. Yeah, that, that's ironic. I got, uh, I was in three different, I was in three Cotton Bowls with three different teams. Okay, but I, in Sugar Bowls, I played the same team twice. Uh, we, and and we we won. I mean, the the, the one that Michigan hooked, boy, that was a game. Now that was that was a back and forth. That was you know, uh, I, I just felt our Auburn game. We were we were in control of the game most of the game, but that wasn't the case in the Michigan when I was at Michigan. But we ended up kicking a field goal in overtime and beating them. 
which, you know, end of the day is the goal. So I was every bit as excited. But uh, they're really well-coached team. But Bud Foster was a defense coordinator, and he did a great job. I mean, he was, wasn't afraid to load up the box and single up his corners. And if you didn't throw the ball well, you're going to be in trouble because they were going to make it hard for you to run the football. Even with Denard Robinson and the guys that we had, we were really a big-time running team, unlike Auburn, you know. So we played to his strengths a little bit better. But, um, but what, a, what a bowl game that is. I mean, that's a cool Sugar Bowl's Hell of a bowl game. I mean, it's a fun week of football, you know. Oh, back on 04 Auburn. So I want to ask you, you know, you know, 18 years later, uh, you guys would have beat a USC, right? Now, if you think I'm going to say no, you're crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't. I, I'm not. I, no, with all due to, I, hey, I know about SC now. I was UCLA for about five years, so. I got a lot of exposure to USC, and they're they're really, really good, really talented. And they were so much like us. You know, they had Lindell White. They had Reggie Bush. They had Leonard. We had Cadillac, Ronnie, and uh, Jason. So, you know, they're kind of a mirror image of each other on offense. Defensively, we had the best scoring defense in the entire country. I mean, Mm -hmm. coaching in the best conference in the country. Uh, Now, I can say that. I can say it's the best conference because I coached in the back ten. I coached in the Big Ten. I, I know that the SEC is the best conference in the country, and I'll argue that with anybody. Now, I mean, there may be, a, may be a year where somebody else might, but not with any consistency, and certainly not at that time. So uh, I think uh, I think we could we would have beat USC. I think it'd have been a hell of a game, but I think I'm just had trouble envisioning that team losing any games. Maybe that's why I don't. They did maybe why I think that way, but you know, if you had Norm Chow on tomorrow, he'd tell you they'd be that. So, <laughs> I've always felt with that matchup, if it had happened, uh, you need to talk about the offense. But when I look at you know what Auburn's defensively, there's something about, and I brought him up earlier, Junior Rose Green. Well, he he, I feel like he would have been such a big factor yeah, in that heart, that heart and soul of the defense. Yeah, and Junior, you know, uh, I love Junior. Junior's one of my favorite players. No question. When he was playing with us and after, I mean, I, I just thought Junior was the heart and soul of the defense because he had limited coverage skills, okay? Uh, it wasn't terrible, but he wasn't NFL, and he, that was what kept him probably from playing next level football. But he was he hit anything that moved, and the players fed off his energy. They fed off his energy. He understood football. He understood the adjustments. He could play safety, and with him and Will Herring back there, they 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 didn't make oh, many yeah. mistakes, and and they they steal they steal quarterbacks' eyes, intercept passes, uh, and then if you can went in the middle, you took your life into your hands. Because <laughs> it to be a collision. Okay, I thank God Junior didn't have that targeting penalty when he was playing because, and not that he <laughs> played dirty. He didn't play dirty. He played within the rules. He did, but he was going to hit you. I mean, mm-hmm. and. and but he was really very much a huge part of our success. I don't think there's any doubt about it. You know, uh, we talked about the 014, but uh, there's a I want to talk about who took over quarterback next. And it's, uh, as well, you know, that's Brandon Cox. I know over your four years, Auburn was 41 and nine when you were when you were there as offense coordinator. And I always felt like Brandon Cox was one of, is is another Auburn quarterback. Doesn't get remembered as much as I think he should. One, I thought he was as tough as can be. With especially, I think more of his last year. But uh, what, you know, what was your you know his the transition from Jason Campbell to him as quarterback? Yeah, he was. Uh, he to me is the most underappreciated quarterback. 
in the history of Auburn football. He did, he did not win a championship as a starting quarterback, and that's probably why. But he beat Alabama three years, okay, uh, and he won some huge football games, huge. Now, Brandon was what I like. A lot of guys would probably call a game manager, okay. He wasn't mobile, and that that was painful at times because he, he needed a nice pocket. He'd use it. He'd stand there and use it. Now, he wasn't afraid to stand in a pocket and throw it. But he needed more protection than a guy like Jason Campbell, who was more nimble, okay? He didn't have Jason's arm strength, but he did have his accuracy. He could throw. If a guy was open, uh, Brandon could hit the guy. And his management, game management, understanding when to go to what play, how to get out of plays, you know, uh, just those types of things, managing the clock in four-minute situations or two-minute situations. He had a very good feel for football. You know, and he and he was a lot like uh, Jason in that he didn't talk much. You know, he talks a lot more now. So does Jason. Now that I think about it, but back then they were kind of just like each other. I had the quietest quarterback meetings I ever had in my life. But the thing that was they didn't talk much, but they listened real well because they would take it all in. You know, and, and, and I find myself in meetings always asking for feedback because I didn't get a lot of questions. And when I get the feedback, they were generally spot on with anything that I'd gone over with them. So uh, they they took their game onto the field. They played within their skill set, Brandon in particular, because he wasn't a first-round draft pick talent. But I think he got everything out of what his – you know, he was – we had a uh, – from an offensive line perspective, Danny Lindsay was a guy that got everything out of what he was. From a quarterback perspective, Brandon Cox got everything out of his skill set. I believe, you know, neither were NFL players, but both of them were very good college players. You know, in uh, 2017, you came back to Auburn mm-hmm. as a, uh, you know, offensive analyst under Gus Malzahn. And, uh, Hey, yes, when you're on staff, you're five and zero against the, uh, against Alabama. So, you know, you know, uh, you know, Auburn fans appreciate that. Uh, uh, what was that like, you know, being there as office analyst under Gus Malzahn? Oh, it's great. Uh, you know, what's good about Gus, Gus was really good to me. Okay. Uh, and, but he, uh, I got a chance to see how other guys work. You know, mm-hmm. I'd been in a, my own cocoon, I think for 30 years, I, I, I ran my own offense, did it pretty much my own way. But, uh, when I came back as an analyst, I got a chance to see how other guys did chip Lindsay who was the offense quarter. Chip was a high school coach when I was here before. And, uh, he had, you know, he moved on. He's he'd grown up as a coach and I got a chance to see how they went about their business. And it was interesting. And when I left there, I went to UTSA. There were some things I took from that, 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 you know, I, I just, I would just didn't have uh, that I hadn't done in the past, you know? So it was cool. It was really a, a heck of a deal. And I got a chance to get back into the Auburn football deal, which, is truly special and didn't have all the pressures that went with being a coordinator, you know, cause there's a lot, God dog, when you got that job, it's, it is a pressure cooker, but I could, I could be more in an advisory role. You know what I mean? And not be biting my fingernails before. We go out <laughs> and kick off, you know? So it was fun. It was fun to come back and see all the people again, too. And oh, we did Alabama again. We did yeah. them again, you know, so. Yeah, that was that was a good few weeks there for Auburn beating the, the number one ranked team uh, two games in a row. Uh, like, yeah, yeah, we discussed on another podcast. It's interesting. Uh, Alabama, I think, won a national championship, right? Didn't come. Yeah, from, yeah. And, and I, we, I was debating. I said, you know, they probably would have exchanged 
losing to us to win the national championship. And I thought about it, I got, eh, maybe not. <laughs> I'm not a hundred percent sure of that, you know? So, uh, but we, you know, we, we beat them. They won the national championship. We did that one year at, uh, 2006, wasn't it? I think we beat, or 2007, I can't remember. We beat Florida, and we were their only loss. And they oh, won. yeah. Yeah. So uh, it's it's nice to have the bragging rights to say we were, yeah, they may have won it, but we beat them, you know. So uh, that was cool. I'll remember the two years, which I know the first time Tebow was more just change of pace. And then the second year, you guys did beat Tebow is when he was the starter. I'll remember someone made a joke because they always compared Tebow, Tim Tebow to Superman. I guess because his physique and all that. Yeah. I said, well, if he's Superman, his kryptonite out is orange and blue. It's all for shade. <laughs> I had a kid, you know, Tim was a special, special person. Uh, and one of the best college football players, I think, top 10, I think, of all time. I really believe that now. Mm-hmm. And, so you, and I don't think it's fair to say, well, he wasn't a very good NFL player. I think I didn't do with what he did in Florida. Nothing. Mm-hmm. Okay. He was uh, legitimate. I had a kid like Tim at, at UCLA. A guy named Cade McNown. He was smaller than Tim, but he played the same way. Okay, uh, playmaker, diving over bodies. I mean, doing whatever he's got to do to to put another point on the board. Left-handed, just like Tim, kind of a long motion. Remember, Tebow used to throw the ball. It, he was uh, really uh, the first Tim Tebow type, you know. And we won, you know, twenty straight games with him at quarterback. So when I used to see Tebow, I would think about. Cade McNown, you know, they were that Tim was more of a spread quarterback. Cade was more pro style, but T- Cade could have played spread in the spread. The spread wasn't in vogue as much back then, but he could have been doing a lot of the same things Tim did, you know. So uh, I know that, you know, playing college football, playing college quarterback is different than playing pro quarterback. And he fit what they wanted to do to a team. And, and and he brought them through a lot of tough situations and won them a lot of big games. You know, a couple more questions. Gonna uh, uh, kept you over forty minutes so far here, but uh, oh, you know, over your career, and I was gonna bring up uh, okay now, but uh, you beat me to it. It's like you knew my, my questions here. <laughs> um, anything you know outside of Auburn career that really really sticks out to you? Well, this is what's I think it's interesting, and I mentioned this at the time, although I, did, I didn't mention this in my book. I probably should have. Um, when I came to uh, Auburn and Jason enjoyed the kind of success he did, they gave me a lot of credit for it and more than I should have got. I mean, really, I mean, I, think I did a good job, but my nice thought, but Jason really was ready to develop into a good player. I think it was 99% him and about 1% me, but uh, we facilitated that. But I was asked, I said, is this the greatest turnaround you've ever seen in a quarterback? I said, no, it's not. Cade McNown is the greatest turnaround that I'd ever had. Because Cade McNown, when I got to UCLA, my first year was the – out of 10 teams, was rated 10th in pass rating. I mean, he had didn't have a very good year. And he was developing – you know, he's still learning our system, learning how to do things the way we needed him to do them. But he went from the 10th rated quarterback in the Pac-10 to the number one rated quarterback in the country in one year. That was the greatest metamorphosis I'd ever had with a quarterback. So uh, as great as Jason did, God knows I would never belittle that. But Cade McDowell made the the biggest turnaround uh, that I've ever had a guy get. So that's what I remember the most about him and how he just every week would find a way to get a win. You know, and uh, well, you know, for the Auburn fans or any college football fans out there, what, what are you up to now? 
Uh, I'm retired. I'm the University of Nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> no, what I do, uh, what I'm doing now, um, uh, I do the, that that uh, YouTube during the season. I told you about with uh, with Auburn or with uh, Michigan, uh, which keeps me in football, keeps me on top of football. Okay, uh, game. I said, I remember I said, I'll never let the game pass me, but I'm going to stay on every contemporary techniques. I started in 86 running pure West Coast offense, and I finished in the shotgun running RPOs. You know, that's the way the game went, right? Yeah. Change of the game. Uh, and I said, when I retired, who cares anymore, right? Let him, I said, but I, I still stay on top of football. I want to know every contemporary technique, everything. So I'd stay on top of it that way, but I've always been a huge baseball guy. I love baseball. I mean, I used to go to all the baseball games when I was at Auburn. And uh, my son uh, being 17, now I've coached his uh, 16U, 15U, 16U, and now 17U this year baseball team. Because he didn't play football. He loves football. He didn't play football. He didn't really have a football body type. So uh, during football season, I do my, my radio deal with Sam Webb and WTK. But during baseball season, I coach my son's uh, – uh, travel baseball team and I have a blast. The only problem is I'm a football coach and I kind of coach baseball the way I coach football. And <laughs> I'm not sure the parents are real fired up. I tell them, I'll coach. I don't want any emails. Okay. I don't want to hear it. You know, so I, there's some, you know, I bleed, my football bleeds off a little bit into the, into the baseball. And I, and I study the hell out of baseball. I mean, just like I did football, I'm talking to baseball people all the time, trying to learn different things, you know? And so it's been, uh, it's been fun. I have a daughter that's 15 years old that, she has some activities too. She plays lacrosse, which I don't know a thing about. But uh, I go, you know, I just say, "Go, honey, go!" You know, I, I can't <laughs> do it, so I just cheer on. So, but um, that's what I'm doing. I mean, I live uh, in Saline, which is really you know, just outside of Ann Arbor, and uh, and I just stay on top of everything, and I'm having fun, and don't have the pressures that I had for years and years and years. You know, I still I still have great passion for football and the schemes, and I miss the players because the players kept me young. But I don't miss those fourteen and fifteen hour days. Those those I'm gonna let the young guys handle that. So, all right, and then uh, you know, last thing you know, kind of circle it back to the book. Uh, you know, comes out in August. Anything you know, you want to tell the listeners and viewers about the book or where they well, can get it or you know, watch it? Why they should check it out? Yeah. Um, anybody wants to befriend me on Facebook, because I'm going to keep everybody up to snuff on when it's coming out and how it's coming. OK, uh, they have told me that it should be done by August. My plan is uh, to come to the LSU game and do a book signing. I've already talked to the people at Auburn. And so we'll set up a booth down there. I know there'll be a lot of people at that game. And I'd like to come there and, and again, assuming everything is on schedule. Yeah. I'd like to come, uh, I think it's August, or not August 1st, October 1st. The book, the, the book should be out in August. So the book should be out for, you know, for a little while before that. And um, But uh, I just think, you know, it should be a pretty easy read. I think it'll be, I don't know, 165 pages right in there. And probably about 30, 40 images. So it may be over 200 pages, but you can read it in two to three days. It's not going to be too taxed. I wanted it to be, you know, I have enough girth to look relevant, but not so much it would scare people off. The stories are uh, interesting and funny. And I, I tried to do as much storytelling as I can. And I tried not to throw too much football jargon at them, but I didn't want to be completely devoid of that because otherwise I'd, I'd be giving you the same stuff I give 
you know, you'd be reading the same stuff you read in all the other publications. There's been a lot of publications on that season, but this one is a different view. This is a view from the huddle. I mean, and, and, and how I did it, uh, how I said it, you know, uh, you know, sometimes <laughs> the language is a little cavalier, but it, it, I, I didn't want to belie uh, the authenticity of the situations so that you can, you can, you can put yourself, you can picture yourself there. You know what I mean? Rather than just uh, explain it like Hemingway or Gresham. And, and you know what I mean? I'm not, that's yeah. not me. I mean, I told the publisher when I wrote the book, don't be editing that stuff out. I mean, if I'm grammatically wrong, do that, but don't, but leave in the personality of the book because I want the people that I'm writing it for to experience that. So um, I think, I think you'll, find it you as an Auburn fan you, it's right in your power zone now you'll you'll love it but I'm trying to get to the to the other people too the people that aren't necessarily the Auburn fans just the football aficionados that just find that kind of thing interesting oh I think they will I think a lot of people is, is, is that was an interesting season uh, awesome season for Auburn and I know I'll be I can't wait for the book comes out and uh coach Borges i uh, like I said, I kept you longer than I said I would, but uh, I do appreciate you you coming on the show, and uh, you know I hope we can catch up when the, you know after the book comes out and uh, see how it's doing. Yeah, what I'd like to do, uh, Philip, is when is when it comes out, maybe do a follow up. You know, okay. uh, I'm so there. I, can, I can help pub it up again, and uh, you know, one thing I, I don't know anything. I'm a neophyte with regard to this author stuff, but I know if you can't if you can't market it, you can't sell it. You know, and, yeah. I, and so and you're the guys that helped me do that. So when it comes out again, uh, maybe we get together again, and I'll. Uh, give you a little more deeper assessment oh yeah i'll, I'll be looking forward to it and i'll be all there you, know, you want to come right. back on and uh, uh talk more about the book when it's out and you know like i said i appreciate you taking the time and i look forward to, to talking to you again sometime down the road my pleasure you can check out the philip georgia show podcast over at wiregrassdailynews.com or wherever you get your podcast if you're on apple podcast please follow rate and review leave a review and i will read it on a future edition of this show and if you leave just four stars, you are just a straight-up hater. You can email me at sports.philipjordan at gmail.com.